we're standing on the precipice of this biggest change in the way businesses operate, in my opinion, since the, you know, the industrial age. So that's the voice of Jay Wilkinson from the Do More Good movement. He's our guest today on my podcast. You know, for my wife and I, Jeremiah 29.7 became a really important Bible verse in our life. It says, seek the welfare or the justice or the wholeness of your city, for in its wholeness, you'll find your own wholeness. And this became an impactful idea to us that our welfare couldn't be fully in place if our city didn't have welfare or justice or wholeness or shalom, as our Jewish friends would call it. Too often the evangelical belief today is like, God's going to blow up the rest of the world. We just need to get as many people into the evangelical boat as we can and just wait for God to get us out of here. Too often the answers that could really help people in our culture go against what has now become a right-wing Christian mentality. And so we don't see those answers come. But my friend Jay Wilkinson from the Do More Good movement is, is trying to show us a different way of living out the American dream that still cares for the wholeness of our communities and our region and our states and our whole country. It's a really unique idea calling for capitalists to do so with a stewardship that not only is going to be good hearts to help the world, but is actually good business that's going to determine who's successful in this next generation of capitalism in our country and beyond. It's a really fascinating discussion, so I hope you'll listen. I also hope you'll catch in the middle of this podcast an ad for the nonpartisan evangelical Pastor Paul Patreon community. The subscriptions to Patreon are where we get our financial support for the work that we do through Pastor Paul and the nonpartisan evangelical. I hope you'll listen to that ad. You'll join, buy a subscription, get the benefits we have there, and enjoy being a part of this community that's telling the world God is not mad at you and finding unique and uncommon ways to pursue spirituality in this time in history. Jay Wilkins is a longtime friend of mine. You'll find out more about that in the podcast and find out more about how he's saying to capitalists, if you do more good, you're going to be more successful on today's nonpartisan evangelical podcast with Pastor Paul from pastor-paul.com. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical, where we're challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. All right. Hi, everybody. Pastor Paul here from the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. And Jeremiah 29.7 is a, a verse in the Bible that says, seek the welfare of your city, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. And I think that's a really important verse in the Bible that says, my peace, my shalom, as they would have called it back in the Hebrew uh, lingo, is based in the peace and shalom of my community around me. And if there's not peace and justice in my community, 
I don't have peace and justice in my own life. And I think it's a very different viewpoint than many of my friends in the evangelical community view biblical truth that say, we're just about saving souls and getting people to heaven, that I think the Bible really is about seeking the common good of our communities. And in doing so, then we can draw people to our spiritual beliefs and otherwise. And so I have a great guest on the podcast today who happens to be uh, a very exciting guest for me personally, because he's somebody I've known a long, long, long time, longer than I care to, to think about how long it's been. But Jay Wilkinson is the founder of the Do More Good Movement, uh, CEO of a company called Firespring. And he's just been doing some great work. I got to attend uh, an event that he his group organized recently. And uh, so, Jay, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on. And before we start talking about the movement, I do have to let people know we have known each other a long, long time. In fact, teammates in North Platte High School of the Bulldogs. <laughs> so it's good to see you again after all these many years. It is so great to see you. It has been a long time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just as usual, you're uh, like back in the day, Paul was our he was the point guard on our basketball team. So he was the one <laughs> dishing out the assists and get everybody set up. So that thank you for that introduction. Not much has and, changed. And you were the one jumping on the hoop. I remember when we won the <laughs> district championship, Jay jumped up and was sitting on the basket. I don't even know how you got up there. Well, I just jumped up and grabbed the rim and pulled myself up. I certainly uh, didn't do it in one leap. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are those are great memories from back in Western Nebraska. And Jay now has his main office out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, so tell me, the Do More Good movement, what is Do More Good all about? And, and what are you guys trying to do good in? Well, most of my time today is spent um, as the steward, the founder of the Do More Good movement. And the movement exists really as, um, as, as a way to educate, empower, and inspire, and, and to amplify business leaders and companies who are doing more good in the world. And um, my, my founding board of advisors, the people that are really influential in bringing all of the stuff that I'm working on together, um, these are the people who created conscious capitalism um, and the 1% for the planet movement, which is uh, re really something that got started by Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia um, and uh, uh, certified B corporations. And the actually the woman that worked in President Obama's White House as the chief legal counsel, her name is Preeta Bonsal. She's an amazing human, but she uh, was the person largely instrumental for the creation of benefit corporation legislation, which is now passed in 38 states. So these are the four largest frameworks around putting purpose into business. The belief that there is a triple bottom line, which is what they call it in the conscious capitalism world. It's not just the economic impact, but also the social and environmental impact of our companies that matters. Um, not solely putting money in the pockets of the shareholders, the owners, but lifting up the communities that those businesses serve, the employees, the, the vendors, of course, the customers, um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I, I believe that if every business in the world operated with a mindset that they were focused on how they can lift each other up and, um, and support all of the people that are part of their ecosystem, imagine how different the world would be. And, and, I, and I, I guess the, the simplest way that we like to put it um, inside the movement as we're working on it is we're here to reclaim capitalism. 
Um, we, we, we believe that capitalism has been given a bad rap. You know, if you watch a movie or read a book today or have in the last 20 years, um, more than 80% of them depict capitalists and business owners and leaders as um, evil or, you know, ruthless or heartless people. Um, so I understand why that sentiment is out there. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's actually not all like that. There are some companies and some like, like you know, there are across anything in the world um, who have bad intentions, but uh, we just need to focus on the right things in capitalism. And that's what we're, we're f focused on doing and building. So why would a capitalist company want to do this? Why, why wouldn't they just be focused on profit for themselves and the CEO and the shareholders? Well, number one, because it's the right thing to do, as you and I know, Paul. But yeah, yeah, it sounds good. It that, sounds that good. Sounds good. I know. But more <laughs> importantly, um, there, there, there are some great resources on on the why question around this. Um, Isn't that that's the Simon Sinek book, right? Uh, yeah, start Simon with why. Sinek is certainly one of the leaders. You know, he he had a great TED talk on um, on the Golden Circle where he talked about the power of the why, and we need mm -hmm. to we need to start with the why. Um, but, but there's also some very specific um, text and research that's been done in business circles around understanding that companies that pursue a path to purpose in their business are more profitable um, across the board than businesses and companies that don't do that. Just think about um, you know, the Gen Zers and, and, even, and, and the Gen Yers that are out in the, in the world today, the millennials that are working in businesses, which is the largest percentage of people in the workforce today, um, businesses that don't understand that they need to evolve the way that they do business to take into, into account all of the people that are part of their ecosystem. My personal opinion is they won't be around. They're not even going to survive five to eight years because no one will go to want to work for them and people won't want to buy their products and services. So if survival is a good enough thing for you, that's one reason why. But even more importantly, I, I don't really believe in the axiom that it's, um, you know, and you hear this all the time where they say purpose before profit. Um, it's something that you hear in, in the circles around uh, putting purpose in business. Well, the, the real, the, you know, the reality of that is, is profit because of purpose. There has been so much research that's done now that businesses and, and, the, and their leaders that focus on leading mindful businesses and, and mindful practices in their businesses make more money, um, which gives you more resources to impact your community. And if you want to take you know, a bigger share of those and put them in the pockets of the owners or the shareholders, so be it. But it, as long as you're focused on all of the stakeholders in a business and not only and solely on the owners. That's interesting. Uh, you know, and so we see examples of this, like Tom Shoes is one of the, the big leaders of, hey, we, we give away shoes to people yep. that need shoes. And, and that's how we make profit. And, and even cause marketing companies like Starbucks and, you know, those are attracting uh, younger people. And maybe some of these other companies are holding on while the boomers are still alive. But what you're saying is the next generations are just simply going to going to say no to a company not willing to show that they're giving back to the community. Yeah, I believe that fervently. I, I think we we have maybe a decade in business to survive until we're able to uh, to change the way that not only uh, that we're perceived, but but how we really do business. Because, you know, again, we also know that we live in glass houses today. Um, every business is visible from every 
every perspective and every angle. Um, you cannot do one thing and and say something else and 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 be something that you're not. Uh, it just simply doesn't work anymore. Uh, those days are gone. So we have to be uh, really intentional about. Um, and I, I think the word authentic is used is a little is a little overused in today's business world. Sure. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean it's not not true but, though. But, but it's re it's real. We have to be you know <laughs> we have to be the real version of who we are rather than you know three or four separate curated versions of who we want to be known as. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And you know when I talk, I, I get to talk to a lot of young people in what I do now. And you're talking about Gen Z and Gen Y and and millennials who are not so young anymore, but. Um, you know, one of the, the big scare words that goes around a lot in our in our culture now is socialism. And, and mm -hmm. I hear that as a buzzword to try to scare people into votes. But to me, the real threat of socialism may be if we don't go the direction you're talking about, that that a generation may say, you know, capitalism isn't working for us anymore. And mm -hmm. I actually hear that coming out of the mouths of young people. And and so I, I do find it interesting. You're saying you're trying to save capitalism by bringing this generosity into it. Yeah. And, and it is true. There are there are aspects of capitalism that are not working without question. You know, the rich have become richer in the last 18 months as the pandemic, you know, has has, uh, you know, spread its tentacles out on society. Um, there's no question about that. Um, it's it's really more um, cronyism and corporatism that causes the challenges and the issues that we see Um Capitalism, uh, we, we, we like to call it Main Street capitalism. You know, I, I, um, I come from Nebraska. My family settled there in the 1800s. My great-grandfather was friends of B Buffalo Bill in, in our hometown of North Platte, going way back into the day. And one thing that um, is often said about the settlers of, of the American Midwest is that they were hardy people. Uh, they were resilient. You know, they, they, they were able to... Um, uh, live and work in harsh environments. And they did that by taking care of each other, by being there for one another. And, and that's the kind of capitalism that, that I think America needs to reclaim. It's the kind of capitalism where we are there for one another, where we're taking care of each other. We have each other's backs. Um, and so one of the fundamental uh, foundational tenets of the Do More Good movement is the abundance mindset. You know, it's the opposite of what Stephen Covey used to call um, the scarcity mindset, when we, right. we think that we have to hoard everything we can and keep it for ourselves. Um, I, I believe, and we believe in this movement, that the rising tide lifts all boats. Um, and uh, th there are so many references to uh, Christianity and biblical references in what we believe in. Um, but we're, we're an agnostic organization. We, we, we believe that, that people should be good to other people because it's the right thing to do. Why join the Pastor Paul NPE Patreon community? Because it's where all the nonpartisan deconstructing interaction happens. On the NPE Patreon page with Pastor Paul, you get special regular e-inspired content that you can't get anywhere else. You get access to our podcast guests that aren't available to the public. There are special Zoom sessions with Ashley and me and previews to what's coming next in the Pastor Paul world. You're invited into the private NPE Facebook discussion group and there's access to the audiobook version of Paul's novel, Joseph Comes to Town, which isn't available anywhere else in the entire world. And at higher levels of commitment, 
we can have one-on-one visits together or even coaching from my Pastor Paul coaching curriculum. The number one reason, though, to join the NPE Patreon community with Pastor Paul to help promote this message, my message, that God is not mad at the world. Your subscription helps fund the Pastor Paul work so we can bring this message to everyone everywhere. So help support the Pastor Paul nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. Join the Pastor Paul NPE Patreon page and enjoy the benefits of your subscription today. And help me, Pastor Paul, share with those who have lost their faith community and need to know that God is not mad at them. Go to our website on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash NPE podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash NPE podcast. And you hit something there, the rising tide idea. And my and my wife was mayor of our city for two terms. And, and that really came about because we looked at our city, said, hey, we're going to live here. We're going to raise our kids here. Very impoverished city in the middle of the most prosperous state in the country. And, and said, hey, if, if we raise the standard of living for everybody, it's going to raise the the rents we can charge on houses and and in offices and things like that so it really is uh it, 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 there is a return on this investment just like you guys say yeah and for what it's worth um ashley is well known um I, in fact i i i shared ashley's um, my wife by the way yes, for anybody oh, yeah. that doesn't thank, know yeah thank you for clarifying that i i will share with you that i uh, i was sharing your book with some friends of mine um, one of them. Wow! Thank you. That's awesome. Of course, uh, one of them in particular. Her father is a pastor, and she said, "How is my dad going to be when he reads this?" And she, she was trying to like um, get into the right mindset. And then I shared with her um, that that your wife, you know, the author's wife, is Ashley Swearingen, Fresno, and she had this. She she was like, she's like the Leslie Nope of the West Coast. <laughs> So uh, for what oh, you should share that. She with will her. love that. You should She'll share that, that with her. It, it was it was pretty touching actually. And <laughs> Leslie Nope is one of my all time favorite characters in any sitcom ever. So I, I I found that to be a great compliment. She yeah she'll love that Leslie Leslie Nope from uh, Cash. What's the name of the series again? Oh, uh, Parks and Rec. Parks, Parks and, and Rec. Rec. Parks and Rec. Yep. Thank you. Right up there with uh, Jed Bartlett from West Wing, who, who <laughs> happens to be one of my favorites. That is awesome. Well, I will tell Ashley that and she'll be very excited. So you're, you're talking about this is kind of a, a young people thing and a little bit young person focused. You and I are not exactly spring chickens anymore. So how did you get inspired to, to be the founder of the Do More Good movement? What inspired you into this? So my company, uh, Firespring, uh, was the first certified B Corporation in Nebraska. Uh, that happened in 2014. And, and that was mostly driven by my, my desire to, uh, to do something for my father, who's my, my mentor, my hero um, in North Platte, where I grew up. He was my scoutmaster and my youth coach and all sports and all that stuff. He was just an incredible human, still is an incredible human, but an incredible role model as a father for me to learn from. And I remember having a conversation with my brothers. Um, this would have been like 2012, 2013, about what can we do for dad to like, so he to leave a legacy. We were talking about things like, uh, you know, hospital wing named after him and or name a park after him. And, and someday I kept saying that word someday, someday I'm going to, 
build a business big enough or save up enough money that we can do something really amazing to honor you know, dad's legacy. And then I remember it had to be 2013 Thanksgiving. I was having a conversation with him, him my dad, and, and he started laughing at me saying, what are you asking me all these questions about legacy for? You know, he, I was trying to pin him down to kind of figure out what would get him really excited. And um, all he cared about was that his kids, um, his, his grandkids and his great grandkids grew up to be you know, great contributors to society and were happy and healthy. It's all he cared about. And I kept asking myself, well, what am I waiting for? Why am I waiting for someday to do something for him? Um, when I can be focused on, on doing that now and maybe in smaller ways rather than big grand ways. And that's when uh, we became a certified B Corp at my company. Um, and you said you were the first certified B Corp in, in all state, of the state? In the state of Nebraska, yes. Wow. And so we, we really doubled down on business as a force for good, if you want to call it that. Um, and we grew the business really fast. We were featured in Inc. Magazine as one of the 50 best places to work in America. And, you know, we all know that those things are like you, you send in your application, you have to have good marketing people, whatever. So I, I don't put a lot of faith in those kind of things. But and, and certainly um, we weren't one of the best 50 in all of America to work for. But I was really proud of what we accomplished. Um, and I, I started speaking about it a lot. I had, I had a TED talk that ended up with like more than a million views on company culture and started to grow. Yeah, I saw um, that. It's very and, good. And, and I started talking a lot about culture. And then I had somebody stand up at one of my events somewhere. Um, and they said, Jay, what's the future of workplace culture going to be? And I said, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know, but it's really an interesting question. What's it going to be like in another five years? So I started a research project about fast forward a couple of years. I had interviewed more than a thousand uh, CEOs and leaders of purpose-driven companies all over North America, US and Canada, and started to find that all, all of these things that, that they were talking about, they kept using words like love and vulnerability and gratitude and kindness and things that, that, that they lived as a business for. Um, and I realized that it wasn't just about company culture, that we're standing on the precipice of this biggest change in the way businesses operate, in my opinion, since the, you know, the industrial age. Um, and uh, there, there's something really dramatic afoot. And uh, that's when I came up with this notion that um, somebody needs to make sense out of all of this, because at that time, all of these different frameworks exist, like certified B Corp, 1% for the planet. But there really wasn't anyone focused on that last mile of education, helping business leaders and owners understand how do I do this? You know, how do I go from where I am now? I'm trying to make payroll and you're trying to tell me I should be, you know, trying to take care of the little old lady down the street. Uh, it, it's not making sense. Mm -hmm. um, so we started working on how can we educate business leaders on this? And that's what our, our whole mantra is about being that last mile. We're not trying to create something new. We're not trying to invent anything that, 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 that has never been heard of before. We're trying to just make sense of everything that's there in a way that's step-by-step uh, -step applicable so a, a business owner can learn exactly what options they have and then what steps they need to take in order to pursue a path to purpose. So uh -huh. that's kind of where the whole thing came from. And you do conferences. How do you do this, this training? You do it individually with companies? Yeah, so our focus is on workshops, um, mm -hmm. and we're we're launching those workshops in August of this year. Um, so we haven't begun conducting them yet. We've been working on curriculum 
um, case studies, best practices, all kinds of things up till now. Uh, and uh, the workshops will be anywhere from a couple of hours to all day workshops, mostly physically present. We're partnering with chambers of commerce um, organizations all over America. Um, and uh, we're gonna do several uh, virtually as well. So people will be able to sign up virtually um, and again, that will all launch in August of this year when we'll have a, a slew of materials out about how to get signed up and, and, and involve yourself. And are you, are you finding companies open to this? And like you say, you know, I know what it's like to try to make a payroll on a month, uh, monthly yes. or bi-monthly basis, you know. Paul, it's really interesting. Um, I've yet to speak with anyone who doesn't understand what it is that, that, that we're focused on. There are certainly lots of people that aren't believers in it. Um, certainly lots of people who believe that the sole purpose of business is to make money. And, um, you know, that that's there. I don't want to go too deep into a history lesson, but there are a lot of business leaders over over the years who who have said that um, the sole purpose of a business is to make money. Milton Friedman's the one who you know said that back in the 70s. Um, and even before that, well, as one of his graduate students, John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, that actually um, spearheaded the movement um, of of the conscious capitalism framework around the triple bottom line, because he didn't believe he didn't he didn't think his professor had it right, um, and and so it's it's the it's it's what's happening is that people um, are are slowly learning and understanding that this is the only way that that we're gonna survive, um, that capitalism will survive, you know, the assault that it's been under for the last decade plus is, is for it to evolve and change. Um, but there, there are still a lot of people in that framework, in that mix um, who are not convinced. So I'd say about 20% of our job is the convincing, but for those that are unconvincible, um, we're moving right on. Um, and we're gonna be focused on the 80% that understand that there is something there. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, for me, and this is a, this is a, a podcast for, for Christians or people who are sort of deconstructing that belief system. And, you know, I think the Bible is very clear that this is a basic way of living, but I don't ever think any of the rules of the Bible are because God just wanted to give us rules. I, I think generosity does have a return. It, it, the Bible says, you know, cast your bread on the water and it'll come home to you. And, so I think the the premise is generosity not only has a financial return, which I believe it does, but it has a purposeful return of of well-being for us. Mm -hmm. And I do I do well-being coaching with people. And what I've found for all of us, what we want is we want safety, value and purpose in our life. We, we want to know we're safe. We want to know there are people that value us and, and we we exist because they love us. And then then we need to find out why do I exist? Mm -hmm. and, and so I hear in what you're saying, then I, I think once you start to, to have a purpose that's bigger than your world and your little yes. space, that's where well-being starts to come in. And I start being able to have this come back to me spiritually, mentally, physically, and become a person that can withstand the good days and the not so good days. So I, I don't know. Do you see any sort of spiritual and 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 mental part of this as well, other than just financial? Like 100% alignment with what you're talking about. One of the things that we talk about all the time with within the paradigms of the Do More Good movement um, is that people at a at a basic level desire to be seen and heard. They want to be able to contribute. They want to add value to your point and 
They want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. Mm. As business leaders, if we can give that to people, we're, we're giving them um, a huge boost up in life and confidence and, and just quality um, uh, of life and relationships and friendships. So there are so many parallels. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. And we were talking before we came on. You, This has been uh, in the midst of sort of a spiritual journey for you. What, do, what has that spiritual journey been like as you're walking through this as a, as a vocational world? And, uh, and, and sort of where do you land in that spiritual journey today? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> a light, easy question for you. It's, no, it's, it's awesome. Um, I, you know, I grew up again, I grew up in, in Nebraska, a small, uh, Midwestern town where, you know, that was founded on religious principles as, as all of our towns across America were. Um, and I came of age in the late seventies. Paul, we probably met in what, 1980. When did you move to North Platte? Yeah. 80, uh, as a sophomore in high school moved. Yeah, to North that's Platte. right. Yeah. So Paul comes swaggering into the gym, you know, he's, he's dribbling the basketball behind his back and then none of us knew how to do that yet. Yeah. And he was, he was showing us all kinds of fancy tricks, but um, so somewhere in the, in the early eighties, um, you know, I, I was, I was coming of age and, and really learning about who I was. I was, I'd spent at that point in my life going to church every Sunday with my family. I was confirmed in the same Missouri Synod Lutheran Church that my mother and grandmother and great grandmother were all confirmed in, um, going you know all the way back. <laughs> wow, I was really active in campus life, which had a really great uh, uh, chapter uh, in in North Platte, and it was just right up the street from where where I lived. Um, when I went to college, I remember learning about uh, the laws of reciprocity from Jim and Tammy Baker. Uh, back wow. In the <laughs> and, and, and got, you know, really excited about reciprocity and as, as a, as a theme in my life. Um, I got married to a Catholic and agreed to then raise my children, um, in the Catholic church and even go to a Catholic school later on. Um, but then, uh, it was probably in the early two thousands when my, my whole journey shifted pretty dramatically. And I think, I think what, what I remember in the early two thousands is kind of when, a lot of the news was breaking around uh, the, the molestation charges in in the Catholic um, in, among Catholic priests, and then you know the drumbeat started to get louder. Um, in in two thousand five, uh, one of the hardest things, in fact, without question, the hardest thing I've ever um, endured uh, as as a human is I, I went through a divorce in two thousand five. Mm. Um, my my former wife is an amazing human. Um, like salt of the earth, amazing human. She's a special education teacher who works with uh, uh, students that are really having a hard time reading. Um, and she's done that her entire life. She's again, just a remarkable, amazing, amazing human, but we were so different. Um, we got married too young. I wanted to travel the world. I literally, um, you know, had a goal to have a meaningful experience in a hundred countries and, um, scuba dive all over the world. I got certified to scuba when I was 16 and she preferred to, you know, read books and kind of stay at home. And we just, we didn't, we didn't align with what we wanted out of life. So we went through a divorce and it was all my doing. It wasn't hers. And, um, uh, in order for us to go through that process, I actually had to go sit down with a priest and bold face lie to him. Mm. Um, and I still think about that being it's one of the things that um, uh, 
I, I don't know if, if, if I regret or I'm embarrassed because I, I don't know what the right words are, but it was so difficult for me in order for her to remarry in the eyes of the church, at least. And uh, she had to prove grounds for an annulment. And like the only way that in, in my conversation with her that I could think is, well, I'll just go tell the priest that I've been unfaithful. Um, and uh, and I, I actually had to take it a step further and say, I had no intention of ever being faithful in order for her to get the annulment. Oh my goodness. And, and it was, it was like the ickiest feeling that pit in your stomach feeling that was almost as deep as the, as the frustration, regret and sadness, the, you know, the despair that I was feeling from the divorce. I was feeling it in this having to lie. You're to lying to a priest. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a big deal. And, and I, I, those things kind of led me down a path where, um, I guess the simplest way, you know, to put it is that um, that's what kind of uh, I departed from the church. Um, but then several other things happened, um, uh, it, it, and the, it, I went through a long time of just really juggling. And un, I didn't know what my my spiritual journey was. I didn't think about it a lot. I was just trying to grow my business and live my life. And then um, I got remarried in in, in two thousand seven. Uh, so I've been. 14 years now and uh, to the perfect partner for me. Um, my life is so good uh, with Tatanya, my wife, and um, we we go on journeys all around the world. We have now been, we're at, I think we're on 56 out of our 100 meaningful destinations. Wow. Um, uh, we, we have so much fun, but um, about a decade ago, we started going to Burning Man, which is a festival in the middle of the Nevada desert. Right. 70,000 people from around the world come together. And the primary theme is radical inclusion, radical acceptance, no yeah. judgment. You come together with people and people can be whomever they want to be. There are lots of you know, representatives from every religion around the world there and, and just these amazing opportunities to connect with people. Um, and then I had this random uh, thing that happened. I think it was around 2015. My wife and I were um, at the Harvard campus in Boston. We were just walking around. Uh, we had no reason to be there other than we thought it'd be fun to just walk through the campus. And there was this big building that was all lit up. And I wonder what's going on there. So we walked up. There were some people coming out of the front. And we just kind of walked in. And uh, there was a sign that said, uh, Salman Rushdie, uh, who was doing a presentation there. Um, and, uh, we didn't have tickets, but at that point they'd stopped the ticket takers had gone in to sit down. So we just kind of snuck in, sat down somewhere in that. Let, let me jump in. So Rushdie wrote satanic verses, right? Yes. Which is uh, sort of an, I, I don't anti-Muslim. Is that, is that a right characterization? Yeah, it's, it's really, it was, uh, I, I think that's a, a fair characterization. Um, he was, he was calling out Muslim, uh, theory, um, for what he felt was, um, you know, were, were really good reasons. And yeah, he was put on, um, I think Al-Qaeda had him on their hit list for yeah, years. He was in yeah. hiding forever. So it was really weird to see his name. I didn't really know anything about him before he went in and sat down. But um, I heard, and and actually my wife and I um, at, were some of those asking questions in the back of the room. And after it was over, we went up and chatted with him a little bit and then ended up having um, a cocktail with him and a couple other people afterwards. Wow. So we had this really great deep conversation. Um, and, and I think what he, his philosophy is really grounded in humanism, if, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, uh, and, and I really appreciated what he had to say. Um, and it really kind of changed the way I started to think. And then, you know, in 2016, the emergence of the alt-right 
entered into mainstream politics. Donald Trump came onto the scene and, oh man, Paul, don't even get me started. I will never understand in my lifetime why people who profess to be a Christian, and in many cases, because they're a Christian, right. they spew hate and exclusion instead of planting seeds of love and inclusion. I, I will never in a million years understand how that came to be. Um, and that's kind of what did it for me, um, I, I think. So in the last several years, I mean, I've been really more, I have dear, dear friends that um, follow the tenets of Christianity and Judaism and Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. And I love them all. And I respect and admire those in particular who are open-minded and use their faith to sow seeds of love in the world and not hate. Um, and so I'm, I'm fully aware that this is one man's view, but I believe that no religion has a monopoly on the truth that each of us need to find the truth that that lives within us so that we can um, have a moral code to live by. We can be a source of knowledge and morality without having to have someone else tell us what to do. That's that's kind of where I've landed on things. Well, that's interesting. And uh, and and what my I want my Christian friends to hear out of that is leaning toward a, a humanist view and humanist is another one of those scary words, a, yeah. a view that values humanity. Uh, it, it's it, We've been having an argument about flying a pride flag over our city council building here in Fresno. And I've been trying to tell people this, this isn't a political issue. This is a human issue we're talking about. We're, we're, just, we're just talking about affirming human beings and, and that should be above politics. So, but it's 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 like you say it's almost mind-boggling to me. But I have Christian friends that say nothing good can happen if you don't have Jesus in your life, and you're a great example of of somebody that's been through that spiritual journey and and because of that, are being inspired to do do good things. So I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. It's good, good stuff. Well, so what, by the way, I know far too well why Christians love Donald Trump and, <laughs> and exactly as you say, because of their Christianity. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to convince people. No, that's a really bad interpretation of who God is and what he wants to do in the world. And, and hopefully we're changing that a little bit. Um, so what's the future now for, for you and the, the do more good movement? What's, what's coming up? Well, we, uh, as I mentioned a, a bit ago, in August, we're gonna launch our, our workshop series. Yep. Uh, we are in the process of building the world's largest repository of best practices, ideas, and inspiration for business leaders at all sizes and all types to understand what it means to be a purpose-driven business. Uh, we partnered with uh, a couple of journalism schools who are going to be uh, having their students go to work on helping create these stories. We're really excited about those partnerships. Um, and uh, we, our next physically present conference where we're bringing people in from um, around the world, but mostly from the US uh, will, will happen in May of 2022. And so uh, we, I, I love having lots of different viewpoints and, I, and, and different perspectives at those kind of events. So um, that's our big conference every year is in May. Um, and we had over 750 folks from uh, from 70 countries around the world attend our virtual conference last May, just a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, it's it, it was fascinating because we didn't set out to have an international conference. It was it was really we're really focused right now in the United States and Canada. 
Um, we are not yet focused on helping propagate our message outside um, of North America because we want to stay focused here where we can have the deepest impact on um, on, on, on the backyards where our employees and, and you know, our, our ecosystem uh, is located. So uh, it was really a surprise when we got all these registrations from around the world. This is a topic that people are hungry for and they want to learn more about it. So where do people find you and find your, your the movement? Yeah, they can find it at domoregood.com. If you go to domoregood.com, we have a sister organization, domoregood.org, that focuses on the nonprofit sector. That's that, that's really focused on helping train, educate, and elevate nonprofits on how to be better stewards of their mission. Um, but my my day to day focus is on the domoregood.com, uh, the movement around helping putting purpose in business. That is awesome. And I have to tell people, this is an insider story for, for you and me, and nobody else may care, but uh, I read the Forbes magazine story about you over the weekend. And and it's just funny for me to think this this was kind of initially this flame inspired in you when we went to a leadership camp yes. as, city, as, as school uh, council leaders from our school uh, at this leadership camp. Is that right? It is. Um, <laughs> Paul and I were both. You were getting inspired. I was chasing girls. You were getting well, inspired to change the world. That tells you the difference between you and me. So I, I will share with, with, with anyone <laughs> listening today that the, the thing that put me over the top is saying, OK, I'll go to this this leadership camp, which sounds like a horrible thing for a 16, 15 year old to have to endure. But we got elected to serve on student council. But that and that was the penance we had to pay. You have to go to leadership camp and learn how right. to be a leader. But when we learned that it was like 70% female, Paul and I were like high-fiving and like, yep, we're there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was the only reason we ended up going. But it, it did, Paul. Um, and I know you remember a lot of aspects from that, but it, it yeah. changed my life. There was a sign. Uh, we, we, they, they put us into these groups called co-ops, group of 12 students right. from all over the state of Nebraska and actually the Midwest. And it was the first time that I really came face to face with people from other ethnicities and uh, from diverse backgrounds, because there weren't a lot of that, you know, in in, in, in our, North Platte, our, yeah. our hometown or in my hometown. And um, there just wasn't a lot of diversity. But so I, it was the first time I get really got to really learn about all kinds of other cultures. And um, at the end of the week, my leader of my group, they called it a co-op leader, the, the leader of my group um, allowed me to take this sign off the wall. Um, and the sign, it was a Stephen Grillet quote, and it said, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Hmm. That sign still hangs on my mirror in my bathroom at home. I see it every day. And quite honestly, the foundation that I got from that sentiment is the ethos that I use to create Firespring, my company. It's the ethos that is really the the um, you know the precedent for what has become the Do More Good movement. Um, it has become just a really important um, mindset that I've embraced and adopted my entire life. Wow, I still go back this summer. That's right. We went in 1981. That's going to date us, Paul. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, it's 40 years ago. This summer is when I attended my first ever workshop for launch leadership. That's the name of the organization. So wow. if you want to learn more about them, you can go find out more at launchleadership.org, by the way. So cool. It's a great 40 work. years. My God. My <laughs> God. It's hard to believe. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
class of 1983. And yep. uh, geez, that's a long, long time ago. Well, Jay, it's uh, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed learning more about what you're doing and I'm proud to know you. It's been fun reconnecting with you. And so thanks for giving us this time. I know your time is very valuable, so I really appreciate it. Well, talking about proud to know you, Paul, if you know how many people that I've, I've, I've talked about with you and the incredibly courageous work that you're doing. Um, in all sincerity, uh, I'm, I have, I'm so in awe of, of you and your choices and your leadership around this. Um, our country, our world needs your messages more now than anything. And so thank you for doing what you do for what it's oh, worth. That's awesome. All right. He's, uh, thank you so much for that, Jay. Jay Wilkinson, founder of the Do More Good Movement, Do More Good dot com is where you can find him and check it out. So thank you guys for being with me on the podcast today. We'll look forward next time on the nonpartisan evangelical podcast from pastor-paul.com. <laughs>